Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their, net, their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now continuing in verse 27, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. ask you to take your word this morning and equip us. Take your word this morning and correct us. Take your word this morning and comfort us. Take your word this morning and give us a vision of the life you've called us to live. Take your word this morning and bring a promise to our hearts. Take your word and accomplish in us that which is pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Things seem to change really quickly. How many of you are still on MySpace? How many of you have no clue what MySpace is? Yes, we got a little bit older crowd here today. Thing. How many of you remember the fanny pack? How many of you wore a fanny pack? Thing. How many of you 15 years ago would have been going home and putting on Zuba pants in Minnesota Vikings colors to watch the game? Thing. <laughs> Well, you don't see any Zuba pants, you don't see any fanny packs, and no one's hanging out on MySpace anymore. Things change really fast. Not only that, but if you would have went out 40 years ago and visited the countryside, there would have been no combining going on at night. They would have been picking corn during the day about three rows at a time. You go now, and it's combining 24 hours a day, seven days a week, at a minimum eight rows at a time. Things change and change really fast. I don't know how many of you have even said to me, oh, don't text me, I'll never text. And then now, guess what? Everybody's texting. Everything changes really fast. And if you looked at your life and you looked at culture over the last 10, 20, 40, 60, 70, 80 years, you would see lots of change. How about 2,000 years? Now step back into the time of Jesus. There was no social media. Social media for Jesus 
was sending a follower on a camel to the next town, and then from that town, sending somebody else on a camel. It didn't take five seconds to tell the world. Sometimes it took five months or five years to tell the world. Back in Jesus' day, if I was going to come over for a visit this afternoon, you would maybe wash my feet when I came into your home. You would maybe have some ointment or some oil for me, and you would probably greet me with a kiss. My, how times have changed. Thanks. I come to some of your homes and you don't even open the door. Thanks. <laughs> Things have changed in the last 2,000 years a lot. 2,000 years ago, there was a physical man named Jesus walking the roads that we could have gotten up and touched, that we could have heard, that we could have talked with. 2,000 years ago, there was a big thing called the temple. People would gather together at the temple regularly, sometimes three times a day. And then they'd come throughout the year to big celebrations and festivals. Today, we don't have a temple. We don't have a physical Jesus walking down the streets. Today, we don't greet each other with a holy kiss. There's been a lot that has changed. And in the midst of all of the change, the question before us this morning is, has the message of Jesus changed? Is the call of Jesus the same for us today as it was to the original disciples? So when Jesus was walking the streets out in the countryside saying, your sins are forgiven, repent and come follow me, was that a message for the original twelve or is the same message for you and I today? If we want to unpack a little bit and understand if it's the same message, I think it helps to think a little bit of how we think and what we think is the same today. Well, I think we would all agree today that we desire and certainly hope that the benefits are the same. I think everybody this morning would say, yes, the benefits that the first 12 received are the exact same benefits that we receive. The forgiveness of sin, the hope of the resurrection. If the benefits aren't the same, why are you here today? Really, why are you here today? If, if the benefits aren't the same, you're just basically here to make yourself feel good or be good, look good by being part of a religious institution. But you probably believe the benefits are the same because the problem is the same. You see, 2,000 years ago, people also stood by the graveside. And the problem was still the same. Life cut short. Who can conquer the grave? Life was still the same in the sense that there was brokenness because of greed and because of anger. There was still murder. There was still gossip. So there was still a problem that had to be solved. And Jesus brought those benefits of the forgiveness of sin and the hope of the resurrection to his disciples. I think you would agree with me this morning that I sure hope that benefit is the same. And we would say as a church, that benefit is still the same. We just read in Luke chapter 24, Jesus' final words to his followers, hey, go into all nations and proclaim the forgiveness of sins. So yes, the benefit is the same. We're continuing to proclaim forgiveness. And while we continue to proclaim forgiveness, the benefit there's still something else that we're proclaiming as well. Jesus also said, go into all nations and proclaim the repentance of sin and the forgiveness 
And in Matthew 28, he said, go into all nations and make disciples. So the benefit is still the same, but nowhere in the New Testament is there any indication that we can benefit from Jesus without belonging to Jesus. We all want the benefits. Even non-Christians want the benefits. Just go to any number of funerals this next week. Any funeral. Go to it, and I guarantee you, the people at that funeral want the same benefits that we're proclaiming. Resurrection from the dead. Hope of eternal life. Well, Jesus proclaims that there is a benefit when we belong to Him. This last week I was doing some hunting with a couple of guys from church, and I kind of think these two guys had the same mindset, that they wanted the benefit with really out, without going through the process. You see, what would happen, these two guys would basically say to me, hey, um, you're a really good shot, so we know you're going to hit everything, so let's give us a chance to shoot something. So basically they would say, hey, go climb through those six feet of snow for about a mile and push all the birds to us. So here I am walking through these cornfields, tall things of snow, just chasing up all of these birds for these two guys to shoot at. You see, they wanted the benefit without going through all of the work thing. Now, there might be happened a little bit differently at different times. But, but you get the point thing that you want the benefit without sometimes having to go through the process. It's kind of like a teenage kid. It's kind of like when you were a teenager, right? Think back to when you were a teenager for a moment. You either really wanted your parents or you didn't want your parents at all. And so on one hand, you really wanted your parents because they still controlled the keys to the car and the money for the movies. On the other hand, you didn't want your parents at all because they kind of critiqued what you wore to school every day. They set the time on when you had to be home. So you wanted the benefits of your parents, but rarely did you want to belong to your parents. Maybe you had the thing happen to you as a parent or as a kid where you told your mom or dad, hey, why don't you park about a block away and I'll walk to your car after school. Well, why? They don't want anyone to know that they belong to you. You see, you wanted the benefit without belonging. And in the scripture, there's no such thing as getting the benefit without belonging to Jesus. Well, the good news this morning is that we belong to Jesus, not because of anything we've done, but because of a promise that he's declared over us. And that promise is the forgiveness of sin. We talked about this last week, that the forgiveness of sin is the entrance into the family of God and the continual refreshment as we remain in the family of God. Look with me, if you would, in Luke chapter 5 at what happens to Peter as he interacts with Jesus. So Peter interacts with Jesus, and as Peter interacts with Jesus, they're out, they're out fishing, and they catch all of these fish that they weren't catching before, and so basically Peter is experiencing a miracle. And so then we see in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says to Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In other words, Peter is saying, wow, I don't deserve to be in the presence of this greatness. Peter is realizing his own imperfections because he's in the presence of greatness. Whenever you're in the presence of someone who's a master of their trade, you become aware very quickly of how bad you are at that trade. 
you know, I'm a pretty good do-it-yourselfer. I'm, you can kind of call me a master do-it-yourselfer. And, uh, and so these last couple of weeks, I've been watching the construction guys at the lumberyard do some of their work, and they've been putting the plumbing in, the rough-in plumbing for the bathrooms. And uh, I thought to myself, I've done a little bit of plumbing in my day, thing installed a shower head here or there. And uh, they come and they put the rough in for the plumbing. Well, they're done before lunch. And I'm thinking to myself, as they're putting all of this PVC pipe together and the glue, I'm watching that going, whenever I use the glue, I'm grabbing a paper towel because the glue's always running to the bottom of the pipe before I can get the next one on there. You're like, if I would have had to do that, it would have taken two months, not four hours. You see, when you're in the presence of someone who's really good at their trade, you become aware really quickly how poor you are at that trade. And that's exactly what's happening with Peter here. He's encountering Jesus going, wow, who could ever produce such a thing? I'm unworthy to be in his presence. You know that you've encountered the true Jesus Christ when you stand and you say, I am a sinner. I am unworthy to be in his presence. When you encounter Jesus, you become aware of your own unworthiness and your own need for the forgiveness of sin. And then the good news. Look at what Jesus does with Peter. Moments later, he says to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. In other words, he's saying to Peter, Peter, let's go. We got stuff to do. Don't sit there and stare at your belly button all day. Jesus doesn't leave Peter and say, yeah, Peter, you're all worthless. And then if you look on in Luke chapter 5, we read about this tax collector. Exact same thing. What does he say to the tax collector? Follow me. He doesn't say to the tax collector, hey, um, geez, you've been robbing people of their money. Uh, I just want you to stay here for 10 weeks, feel guilty about it, and then just, just, be, just don't steal money anymore after that. He just says, no, come on, let's go, follow me. Jesus doesn't leave us in our sin. Last week we read Luke chapter 7. The woman comes in, a sinner, a prostitute, a woman who's known around the community as being dirty. This woman comes and kisses Jesus' feet. Jesus doesn't say to her, hey, sorry, uh, you should not be kissing my feet right now. Um, And don't even be near me. Jesus says, no, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Because Jesus does not leave us in a mess, but rather Jesus seeks to restore us. And it starts by the forgiveness that he proclaims over us. We belong to Jesus because he forgives us. And when he forgives us, he now calls us. You see, the message today is the exact same as it was back then. Today we are still declared forgiven and called to follow. Jesus' message of make disciples was not just for 12 individuals 2,000 years ago. But Jesus is still in the business of making disciples today. Today you are called to be a follower or to be a student or a learner. This language of discipleship, it's kind of foreign language to us because we don't really have disciples in our society. Well, in Jesus' society, they had disciples. So they had rabbis, teachers. These teachers would go and find people to come and be their disciples or their learners, their students. Those people would then follow those rabbis, learn the ways of those rabbis, and seek then to imitate those rabbis with their teachings and their way of living. 
So the idea of discipleship was, was common, this, this teaching apprenticeship mentality. And so when Jesus comes along and says, hey, be my follower, it's common language. Well, for us, this idea of discipleship is kind of foreign, yet the idea of following is not foreign. We all know what it's like to follow another person. We all know what it's like to want to become like another person. So we know what it's like to be a student or a learner. There was a common phrase that they used in Jesus' day when talking about a rabbi and their students. And they would ask someone, are you covered in the dust of your rabbi? So what this meant was, are you staying so close to your master that you're covered in your master's dust? Or in other words, do you know your master so well that you're covered in your master's teaching? Well, this morning for you and I today, whose dust are we covered in? Are we covered in the dust of our culture? Are we covered in the dust of addiction? Are we covered in the dust of greed? What dust are we covered in? Or are we covered in the dust of Jesus because we're following so closely that we're covered in His teaching, we're covered in His ways of thinking? Whose dust covers you? Jesus is seeking to make us followers, disciples. Did you know what the word Christian only appears three times in the New Testament. When you and I think of Christians, sometimes we'd say, I'm a Christian, and then we hope someone will become a disciple. We've made them into two classes. In the Bible, a Christian is a disciple. They were just looking for a way to describe some people who had begun to follow Christ, who they said, these people are slaves of this man named Jesus, who was the Christ, so they called them Christians, bondservants of Christ. So a Christian was a disciple. You never had a Christian who wasn't a disciple. We're called to be disciples or followers, or maybe the best way for us to think about it is we are called to be an apprentice. We all know what it's like to be an apprentice. You go find a master, and they teach you their trade. They teach you their ways, and you learn under them. That's what Christ's call is to us today, to be his apprentice. In other words, to find out everything about him, to know him, and then to become like him by following the example that he's left for us. Again, this is not a foreign concept. The author Dallas Willard says this, There is no mystery about desiring and intending to be like someone. That is a very common thing. Everybody in this room, at some point or another, has latched onto a trend. We're all trend followers. There's very few trend setters among us. You get a trend and you follow it. You start implementing that in your life. And the same is true. We find people that we like. We find people that like, they're cool. That's great. I would love to have my life look like their life. So we know what it's like to know someone and want to become more like that person. It's exactly the call of Jesus Christ to come to know Jesus and to become like him in our life. That's the call of Christ. It's the exact same call today that it was 2,000 years ago because it's the exact same benefit today as it was 2,000 years ago today. The big issue for the majority of us is we've forgotten the benefit of Christ because we've grown up Christian, right? 
Most of us know nothing other than the language of Christianity. From the moment of our baptism, we've grown up in this cloud of Christianity. It's not a bad thing at all. It's a very good thing. It's a blessing. Yet in the midst of that, it's very easy to quickly forget the benefit of Jesus Christ because we've never known life without Jesus. And so sometimes we take for granted the forgiveness of sin. Sometimes we're not as passionate about Jesus because we haven't experienced life without Jesus. But when we're reminded of the benefits of Jesus Christ, that He forgives us, and not just forgives us, but then frees us to live a life following after Him, we've got nothing but passion for Jesus. This morning, we're going to take an opportunity to be reminded of the benefit that we have in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to have somebody come forward and share their testimony with us, kind of encourage us a little bit how God has worked in their life and how uh, they've received the benefits of Jesus and uh, want to step forward and belong to Jesus and experience that blessing going on. So Danny Burden, who's been going to King of Glory for a, a while, a couple years with us here at King of Glory, and who many of you know through relationship, many of our men with Danny's going to come forward this morning and, and share with us about his life and uh, how God has worked in his life and the blessings that God has given to him. And then this morning, he's expressed the desire to be baptized. He's not been baptized before. And so this morning, we want to celebrate what God has done in his life. But before we do that, he's going to share with us a little bit about uh, what's happened in his life. Go ahead. I'll just want to take a minute now and just pray ask the Holy Spirit to speak to me as I as my testimony. Uh, I am a recovering meth addict. My name is Danny B. That's what they call me in my fellowship of recovery. I was born into a family of drug addiction and violence, and uh, I had a lot of stuff happen to me as a child that I buried for so many years that it changed me for the rest of my life. I became a person that I wasn't born to be. Through my addictions and uh, heavily into methamphetamines, I, uh, I, uh, I started living in that darkness started isolating, and I lost everything. Home was in foreclosure, and there was also uh, power was off, the water was off, and I was dying in this isolated room in this, my house I built, and uh, getting buckets of water from the laundromat to take a shower with and stuff, and, uh, and then I almost died. And the black spirit, I call it the black spirit, the black spirit of death is meth, meth is death. And I was dying, and I, and I knew I was dying. And, you know, there's some times in my life that I knew about Jesus, and I knew about the Holy Spirit, I knew about God, I knew the Bible. And I had a little taste of recovery. I had little glimpses of it. But I kept relapsing. And the more I relapsed, the deeper I got until almost I died. When I came out of that death, I knew that something saved me. When I detoxed off methamphetamines, which was suffering was unbelievable. When I came out of that, I was asked to go to Keystone. I went to Keystone, and when I walked into Keystone, I knew that I'd been saved. I knew that the Holy Spirit and Spirit of God came and just delivered me right out of the clutches of death, that I should be dead. As I went in there, and but I knew, and I, I took everything I knew, everything I thought I knew, everything I thought I knew, or anything that was in my mind, I put it in this box, in this treasure box, or a, or a 
chest, and I slammed the door, and I said, if I ever want to go back there, I can go back there. I don't, you know, whatever I thought I knew, I could always go back and take back out what I thought I knew or whatever that I think I knew or whatever, because I knew that it was by my own understanding and by my own mind that I was gonna, that it brought me to death because of my addiction. When I went in there wide open to the spirit, and I knew I had been delivered from the, from the spirit of death and meth, that, that I had to, I just, for some reason, I just knew that the power, so powerful, more powerful than this addiction, more powerful than this planet, more powerful that I, that I would become a, I made a decision at that moment that I'd be a serve that power for the rest of my life. That it gave me life. And when I went in to do my confession, the two and a half hours later, I told about things that happened to me as a child, and I was liberated from it. And when I was liberated from that, I realized, flecking back, that, that when I was, when I had that clarity, you know, and I relapsed, and I clarity, and I relapsed, and clarity, and relapsed, that there was something missing. And what was missing is that, that when I went to sleep at night, when I woke up in the morning, I had to rededicate my life to be of service to God of my understanding. Every morning I had to do that. That was what was missing. Even though I was blessed with the Spirit of God, even though I was blessed with the life again after coming out of that darkness, every morning I had to reunite with that Spirit again because my mind and my body and my emotions and my heart will go astray immediately because I've been in that darkness for so long. Ever since then, you have invited me into your congregation. The men's group on Saturday mornings planted a seed in my life that as soon as I came out of treatment, as soon as I came through the arch, I came right back here to the brothers that expressed their love for me, and I knew I was home. And during that time of service, and every morning, I have not missed one morning of prayer and meditation. I have not, I can look at you and say, with all my heart, and all pure and honesty for the first time in my life, I could stand and look at life in the eye and look at the world in the eye and know the Spirit of God's in me. And then I'd be, my whole life is dedicated to service. And in the process of that service, and every, one day at a time, every morning rededicating and turning it over all day long and transforming my mind and transforming my heart and transforming me, that I believe if I follow the Holy Spirit and serve and, and completely surrender to God, that my mind and my body and everything else would follow because I'm a spiritual being. And in that process, I, sp I speak at Keystone, at the women's unit, and the men's unit. There's two fellowships we started. Uh, we're growing at a 26 to 22 people every week coming in, just beat down and knowing that we're being delivered. And I've been of service to the, just being part of you guys, being part of this fellowship, being part of this congregation, that you have welcomed me. That as I walk out through here, I'm being renewed every moment, every day, all the time from where I was for those 40, 50 years before. And that for the rest of my life, I will serve God and save as many addicts as I can and bring them to what God has done for me and delivered me from the darkness of those addictions. And the addictions are heavy and the addictions are broad. But I rededicate myself every morning. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving me my life because I knew I should have been dead. I was dead.
Thanks, Danny. I think uh, two things really stick out in conversations with him and have had reflected upon it. The first one is this, is he says, uh, was, was not being who I was born to be. Um, that's true across the board in all of our lives at some point and in different ways. That who we were born to be was we were born to reflect the image of God. As human beings, we are created in the image of God. And there's so many times we have not been who we were created to be. But then God speaks. You're forgiven. Come and follow Christ and we can begin to be who we were born to be. Some of you this morning are not being who you were born to be. Just frankly, that's what it is. There's an opportunity to be who you were created to be, a follower of Jesus Christ. Second thing that really sticks out is he hits on something here that Danny did not invent. This idea of waking up every morning and rededicating myself. He's, he's tapping into a, a truth thing. He's tapping into the truth of flesh and being a saint at the exact same time, this constant battle between living in this world but not being of this world. He's actually tapping into a truth that Martin Luther teaches us about baptism that we're going to talk about in just a second. So Martin Luther tells us about baptism. That at baptism, we're not perfected. Today, as Danny's baptized, we're not celebrating that Danny's been perfected. Baptism is not a celebration of perfection, but baptism is a celebration of promise. And at baptize, when we baptize little kids, what we're doing is we're declaring the promise of God over their life. That God will kill their sinful self and bring them to life in Jesus Christ. And the same thing is here today over Danny. God is making a promise that he's being united to God, but he's not being perfected. Because as Martin Luther says, we need to be baptized every single day. What that means is this. Every single day, we need to drown our own sinful self and raise to new life in Christ. Every day is a new day in Jesus. Is an opportunity to continue on that path of following after Him. This morning, all of us have an opportunity to follow someone or something. The question is not are we going to follow someone? The question is, who are we going to follow? Or very simply put, whose apprentice are you? This morning we're celebrating. We should just party that we're celebrating that we've got a new brother that's an apprentice of Jesus now. And this, very quickly, is the only reason, and I say this 100%, this is the only reason we're going to the lumberyard right here. Otherwise, the lumberyard makes no sense. But this is the reason we're going to the lumberyard right here because there's thousands of people in Sioux Falls, South Dakota that have never been baptized, that have never had the promise of God spoken over their lives. And we believe we need a tool that helps us. That's why we're going there is because we believe it gives us the best opportunity to do what God has called us to do. And so it's the start of doing what God wants us to do, to proclaim his promise and invite other people into a life of following Jesus. So I'm going to invite Danny to come forward this morning. Uh, this is going to be different. We're used to using a little bit of water thing in the, in the church. And I just want to emphasize this morning that um, God commands us to baptize. God does not say how much water to use or when to baptize. He simply says, baptize. And so this morning we're baptizing Danny. And, the, and as he drowns this morning in the water, it's a symbol of us dying to our sins. And then as he comes up, it's a symbol of the new life that we have in Christ. Just as when we are baptized, that water washing over us 
is, a, is God's promise coming over us saying, God, I claim you, and then God, that water, God, I'm going to give you new life. So it's God making a promise today, God laying his claim upon uh, Danny's life. So we're going to invite Danny to come forward. Paul's going to come forward. We're going to baptize him this morning to celebrate with him. Danny Burden, do you publicly profess in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? If so, yes, by the power of God. Yes, by the power of God. Danny Burden, baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. Thanks. This is what God does. God's in the business of giving out benefits, the forgiveness of sins. God's in the business of claiming people to be his own, to enter into a life of being an apprentice, Jesus Christ. And so as we go forth today, I invite you to go forth, experiencing the benefit of that forgiveness and also belonging to Jesus, being his apprentice.